You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guest on today's episode of Talking Taiwan is Constance Parng, an actress, writer, and healer who's earned the title of Super Auntie to Native Nations of the Anti-Sewing Squad. Constance spoke to me about her work to support highly vulnerable Native American communities and her connection to Taiwan. Through this conversation, she reveals that the lack of access to basic things like running water and proper health care on reservations have deeply rooted origins. COVID-19 has exposed this reality that existed pre-pandemic. So welcome to the podcast, Constance. Thank you. Um, glad to be here. Could you start by sharing a bit about your background and connection to Taiwan? I speak fluent Mandarin because uh, my mom's a is a is a Mandarin teacher. So and so they were very very strict about um, not speaking any English at home. Oh and wow! So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, grew, I basically didn't even speak English until all, until I went to like grade school. Oh wow! Because so I was like very isolated and confused as like a preschooler, Aww. you know, like part time preschool is being there and be like, what are people saying? <laughs> 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 but I'm also Chinese. Like my parent, my dad's side came um, from Guangdong to Taiwan, but mm-hmm. he grew up in Taiwan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, and he said, so your mom is Kocha or. Yeah, my mom is Kocha. Uh, my dad is uh, Guangdongren, like he's Cantonese. How did you get involved with the anti-sewing squad in the beginning? Um, well, it was, uh, gosh, it was so crazy to think back that this is not that long ago. Only back in March um, this year, um, around March 18th, 19th, I saw some news articles about people making masks and hospitals needing them and um through my partner um we're connected to a tailoring shop um his stepmother-in-law runs a tailoring shop it's run by vietnamese refugees and i was like oh my gosh like we have we have people who can sew and we can make masks and this is great so the very next day march 20th boom we started just going into the best patterns we could find um, nerding out on um you know what kind of materials would filter the virus the best and um, we made our first batch that that then in those um, days I think like that weekend got it out to some local um, you know uh, nurses that we knew personally. Um, one of which was working at a COVID nineteen testing site that had run out of um, masks, and the other one was someone who was a nurse who um, they were down to stapling uh, torn masks together. Oh my god. Yeah, it was uh, it was just shocking that you know COVID nineteen testing site didn't have it, or that a nurse you know has to staple together a, a surgical mask to continue using it, and um, and and we just you know um, you know old Asian ladies so really quickly. So by by the twenty fourth, we had t- another batch of two hundred, and we sent that out to Kaiser Permanente here in Los Angeles, and. Um, and I was desperate for community, um, really just seeking like for other people who are doing this and and can talk about it or, um, you know, because when you're really passionate about doing something and no one else seems to get it, it feels really lonely. And I was like, oh, you know, I just I should join some mass groups. And I saw Christina Wong. Uh, I think on the 24th, she had put up a post and because uh, we have a mutual friend in common. And I was like, oh, cool, like I, I should join this group. And, um, you know, at first it was just something for, you know, um, 
moral support, I guess, or, you know, sharing patterns and tips. And, and I was really being that I don't really sew. I, I was more of a buyer of fabric um, for the tailoring shop and, and, um, you know, wanting to know <laughs> everything about fabric I could possibly learn. Um, and, um, what one thing led to another thing. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, for me, I was dancing around looking for tips, like from all these various groups. I knew the entire time I was like, okay, I had this model in my head that I wanted to help Native Native Americans, Native communities. And my original idea was that, you know, we would have some kind of Tom's model, you know, buy one, give one kind of thing, or buy one, give three, four, five, ten, however many we could do. But it seems that... Um, what was amazing is that there was just so many good-hearted people who were willing to donate to a good cause, and I saw what was Christina was doing, and I kind of, um, you know, started just uh, asking anyone who was in interested in helping to contribute masks to send some to Native communities because I had, um, you know, firsthand seen how undersourced they are when I visited um, uh, Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota in Pine Ridge um, in South Dakota. And these are um, uh, um, largely Lakota people there. And they um, they are so undersourced. And uh, I could only imagine, at that time, I could only imagine how bad it would be for them without, you know, access to PPE. And um, I've since become so much more educated about uh, just exactly what the issues they face are, um, because I teamed up with a lot of people um, in Native communities, um, in healthcare, first responders, uh, people who are doing um, incredible work in their communities, uh, serving during COVID-19. But, you know, just even at the outset, though, when I first got the tailoring shop making masks, I was like, the, the idea was that we could, you know, give some away, sell some, and that would fundraise for giving to, to disadvantaged communities. Um, and, um, but the wonderful thing is, uh, with a larger group, um, such as Auntie Sewing Squad, we could do so much and we can fundraise, uh, because there's so many, uh, incredible human beings who are willing to work, who are willing to give, you know, whatever they can give, any small amount, and it helps us buy fabric and elastic and, and pay for shipping. And so, um, you know, it, it was such a wonderful marriage, you know, when I, when I finally, um, you know, got, uh, into the Auntie Sewing Squad as an active member because at first I kind of floated. I floated between mass groups on, online, mainly looking for, um, I guess, tips and advice and various things that, you know, I might not know about. And I was may also really looking for a group of people that felt like home to me, right. that cared about social justice, mm -hmm. because to me, that is... Um, that, that was my main motivation for making the masks um, because I knew that um, when the supplies change reopen, these communities would be the last to be served mm -hmm. and the last to have access. So that mm -hmm. was really big um, for me. And early on, one of your first donors was from Taiwan. Early on, uh, when I was first getting together my first batch of Navajo Nation mm -hmm. masks, um, when I was doing my first ask, I actually had um, an amazing... Um, connection that came through um, Taiwan. Mm -hmm. uh, there was in a Taiwanese manufacturer of surgical masks that actually donated um, about a thousand surgical masks 
to Navajo Nation for us to disperse. And this came through my friends, uh, Tina Wu and Michelle Wynn. And I don't know who the actual company is. I would, I would credit them directly mm-hmm. right now if I knew. But I think at the time, um, PPE was so... Um, you know, PPE was like pretty much blacked out and, and there was no access to any of that. So I, I actually think that they wanted to remain anonymous uh-huh. and just give it to us uh, without alerting to us to the fact of like, or, you know, it wasn't going to be a public donation so much. It was it was just a really kind thing that they mm-hmm. did. And it was a Taiwanese manufacturer um, through my Taiwanese um, friends um, and because they saw my post and they saw me like sending um, stuff and they were like, we want to help. And actually, we know how to get some PPE, some surgical masks um, from a Taiwanese manufacturer. Um, I just don't know who, <laughs> who it is. Right. Um, oh, and, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. Good yeah. to know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so Taiwan I, has been doing such a great job with their PP and their masks. Like, um, they made sure that everyone in Taiwan had, they gave rations so that everybody would have uh, enough masks. And then later on, they started donating um, shipments to other countries. So you were talking about how you got involved with the anti-sewing squad. I started with the anti-sewing squad as a driver. I would drive food and care packages. I, I cut filters I would shop in the garment district for for fabric. Wow! And um, and simultaneously, somewhere in there, I became a super auntie, which means you know we we do campaigns um, for um, for for the aunties, and and my campaigns were always uh, Native American communities, and so I became known as a super auntie for Native nations and. Um, the reason we say Native Nations, I guess I'm kind of unpack all of that. I mean, it's hard to like go on record with this because it's so uh, controversial. But yeah. we were saying First Nations and people were like, well, that's a, a very much a Canadian term because Canadian government literally uses that term in their official paperwork. Yeah. Um, you know, Native American is uh a correct nomenclature, of course, um, but a lot of these communities, I mean, they are sovereign nations, you know, they are actual sovereign nations, uh, according to treaties, um, and, uh, you know, treaties by Article 6 of the Constitution should be recognized and, and our supreme law of the land in the United States, so so it seems really, it seems, so Native Nations is a term that a lot of people use, um, but, you know, some people say tribal nations, indigenous nations, native communities. Um, so all of the above is correct. But I personally, I just I use native nations a lot because I think it. I like to emphasize that they are um, sovereign nations. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's kind of my preferred, um, you know, amongst uh, m- not just for me, but I mean, for a lot of people, obviously, like this is being. Um, everything I'm saying is influenced by the amazing, um, you know, native people that I've I've had the honor to work with during this pandemic in serving, you know, their communities in solidarity with them. So um, that's that's sort of what um, my my niche became with the Anti Sewing Squad and really connecting with each of the the uh, groups on the ground and really understanding their um, needs and concerns and, and how to best serve them. I'm, I must admit that before I even heard about um, all the work that the anti-sewing squad was doing, like the aid that they were giving to Navajo Nation, that 
It never really occurred to me to think about or to wonder what life is like on um, a reservation. So when I saw the items in the deliveries that are going to the Navajo Nation, you know, uh, it surprised me to see portable hand washing stations. And I'm embarrassed, you know, to say that I didn't realize that people there don't even have running water and maybe not even electricity. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what is the situation like on the reservation and what are their, um, you know, the living conditions? Yeah, so um, on Navajo Nation, um, you know, I've seen percentages and anywhere between 35 to 40 percent of the reservation is without running water and this is a problem that the people have uh, you know brought to the attention of the federal government um you know most places as you know are 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 basically these public um services such as having running water is something that the government you know establishes for us but they have never done that for um the people here and um it's it's devastating it's devastating because a family um basically they have to go very far to get water they fill up maybe you know their their large jugs of water and when they bring it back home then they have to choose between um using it to cook drink and wash their hands and you can imagine how devastating that is when you know when we are required or you know suggested the suggestion right now or recommendation is to wash your hands frequently mm-hmm. and and that poses a problem if you have yep. to choose between washing your hands cooking and drinking water and that is um you know uh, something that a lot of uh, a lot of people don't know about uh reservations and that um this is you know an incredible injustice in that you know they a lot of um tribes um, stopped fighting the government and created these treaties and the treaties say that they're supposed to have certain things um, you know taken care of such as um, health care you know and, and so a lot of these violations um, are so it's a lot of these 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 uh, inadequacies uh, of services are a true violation of treaty rights and also is just you know, wrong it is a result of um, oppression and systemic racism and another you know right now I, I you know I probably should introduce myself uh, you know like a little better than my first intro but I, I I've since uh, you know uh, spun out a project um, from Auntie Sewing Squad and founded the Lakota Wellbeing Project with my um, allies and friends at Standing Rock and uh, what they face is also is very similar as well and that they they basically have three ambulances serving the size um, of Connecticut there, and that is completely inadequate. The system is co- totally overwhelmed right now. Uh, most of the calls are COVID nineteen related, and um, sometimes the ambulance wait time is two hours, maybe three. Mm-hmm. So if someone is having a heart attack, that means that person is most likely going to die. And so we're we're at the moment, you know, trying to fundraise to get another an, an, one additional local ambulance there. And so, I what I what I hope people take away, like from this, and and it's shocking, like you say, a lot of people don't know, is that we essentially have a third world country 
inside our nation, or rather multiple third world countries inside our nation who are neither, you know, afforded equal rights or given true sovereignty. And so they're stuck. And, um, and the result is that people die. And that is uh, something that's happening here in, you know, supposedly one of the most, most powerful, most uh, the richest nations in the world. We are supposed to be, you know, uh, leaders in the, of the free world. And yet we have all of these third world countries um, within our nation that um, don't have adequate health care don't have adequate services such as, you know, running water or electricity. And and it's, someone had said to me when I was talking about this at some point, I was like, well, you know, every country has poor, poor people, right? And I'm like, but this is different. This is, this, this poverty and lack of access was created by laws and policies that we actually have a power to, to change potentially, you know, and that it was created by systemic um, racism and oppression, and you can even say it was created by design to oppress people. Um, if you want to go as far as saying that, I'm comfortable saying that. Um, after getting to know the history um, even more in depth, and um, and there's and you know sometimes it's overwhelming to think about, but I think what's so beautiful about Anti Sewing Squad and uh, what we're doing with the Lakota Wellbeing Project is like there's little things that everyone can do what you know whether it's a contribution of ten dollars or you know you you buying um, you know PP or helping with PPE um, some things that we've been doing uh, with the Lakota Wellbeing Project is uh, getting walkers and wheelchairs onto the reservation because again, I'm like I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make people cry. It's it's so um, shocking um, that people don't have access to these things. For example, one of the founders of Lakota Wellbeing Project, um, my 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 partner, Jonathan Edwards, uh, who is a retired paramedic and firefighter, his own grandmother had a stroke, and the hospital took her home in a wheelchair to her front door. And just left her there without any wheelchair for herself to use, without oh. any mobility to spice. And we're talking about a person who's lost any movement in their entire, you know, half of their body. Wow. And people say, like, well, what does walkers and wheelchairs have to do with COVID-19? I'm like, well, first of all, you have to be able to go to the bathroom to wash your hands. Secondly, if someone has to carry you there, that person, like if you're if you're trying to quarantine and someone has been exposed, but you have a family member that you literally have to carry to around, clearly it's very, very hard to maintain social distancing. And so these are things that no people don't normally think about because we live in a world where well, most of us are lucky enough to live somewhere where where we have access to these things, you know. So um, I, I've become really uh, passionate. I became so passionate in my work um, sending masks to all these Native communities and sending supplies and, and van loads of them, in, in fact, um, that eventually, I, I guess, I, I um, felt, <laughs> felt the need to, to do more. And, and we have sort of a spin-off project, the Lakota Wellbeing Project, to, to get uh, one additional local ambulance to the reservation, as well as, um, you know, fundraise for some of these very basic medical supplies and um, do basically do disaster relief um, for, for the people, Lakota people. And because Standing Rock... Um, you know, being on Sioux County and Corson County, they are two, two, among the two um, 
I guess what U.S. World and News Report would say, the worst counties to live in in the United States of America, um, due to you know poverty and lack of well many things, you know access and and um, just the conditions there. And so, so I was um, very passionate about um, you know doing what I can and. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, I feel like we should be talking I mean, yeah. about the Lakota Wellbeing Project. I had no idea. Um, do you have a website or a GoFundMe campaign or somewhere that people can learn more about it? Yeah, um, we have two. Um, there is um, on DonorBox. It's just uh, you know DonorBox.org backslash uh, Standing Rock Relief. And uh, I let me look up. There's another one. There's a special designated fund right now where people can do a matching. We have a very generous donor who has um, who's matching funds up to ten thousand wow. dollars. And so that's good um, till the end of the year. And we found a fiscal sponsor for that in a uh, Zen Buddha center. Nice. So um, they have their their the the ambulance fund. Um, you know. On their website, so I should probably, if you give me a second. Okay, yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, you can also yeah. email it to me later. It, it is so shocking to me. Like, people, like, we're supposed to, you know, this whole thing, like, we're this great nation, and like, and yet you wheel an elderly woman who just had a stroke to her front door without a wheelchair, you know, yeah. to believe her there yeah it's it's I mean I'm laughing like I hope people don't take I mean I'm laughing because sometimes I'm just like oh my gosh I it's so painful that yeah. like yeah. you know like this is this is something that we shouldn't be okay with and um and it's, I, I think it gives a more specific um picture to when you know in the news when people say like oh COVID-19 is impacting black and brown communities more or um because of uh what do they call it they always say there's a t- gosh why am I I'm suddenly uh, losing the terms they <laughs> uh, inequities not the word inequities uh, disparities the disparities in the health in, of healthcare but it's all you know just a general term like this happens because of disparities disparities well what are these disparities and if you really like illustrate it in some kind of in a way that people can see and visualize you're like oh you mean I you can't wash your hands oh like that that's a problem right mm-hmm. and um and if you um can't breathe and you have COVID-19 and you need to be rushed to a hospital that uh, that an ambulance may not come in time you know th- these are serious issues that um you know change the mortality rate definitely and um so um, it, it started with me seeing an article mid-March and then launching into working with the tailoring shop run by Vietnamese refugees and and attempting to run some kind of weird Tom's model of like, I was like, maybe I'll sell some masks and then that way we can make more money to, to, for, for elastic and fabric and, 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 and send these to Native American communities. And I started doing that and it was so much, it was so hard because you can't really run a, a, like an Etsy shop business and be running a humanitarian aid effort at the same time. It's just too hard. And um, I'm just so grateful that there's enough people out there who have in their hearts to give, you know, what they can to the cause. And it, it has made a huge impact. Um, 
I think at this point, um, and it's, it's it's also other organizations. So we we have um, I've been working obviously with the Anti Sewing Squad to send cloth masks, um, but I was very lucky to connect to MedShare, a nonprofit that does medical supplies uh, to. Um, to uh, normally to third world countries, and and they're they're assisting now with some medical supplies to to Standing Rock. Uh, we have a relationship with them thanks to uh, Rebecca Solnit and her partner, Dr. Charlie McDonald. Medshare was able to also help me connect with um, Disney, Walt Disney Corporation, and they have cloth masks that they wanted to donate to disadvantaged communities. So. Um, between Auntie Sewing Squad and and uh, Walt Disney MedShare, I, I believe I personally have had a hand in roughly sixty thousand masks wow. going out to um, indigenous communities. That's and amazing. so, um, yeah, I'm really happy about that. Um, but I I also like like maybe this is a typical Taiwanese Chinese whatever Asian American <laughs> mentality. I'm like, we can do more. <laughs> like, because <laughs> yeah. I, I know because you know when you look at the numbers, like there's still yeah um, so many so many people that need um, assistance. But but it's also what I've learned through this process is also like really honing in on something very specific that can make a big impact, such as having one even just one additional ambulance on the reservation. You know. Um, can make a difference um, in someone's life, in, in someone's, you know, whether someone lives or dies. And so um, I used to, like, I'm sure Christina and Valerie talked about being run ragged. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've really taken a real day off. I think I've done something every single day wow. since March. Um, I, I've imposed weekends on myself, but I, I, somehow cheat and work anyway a little bit <laughs> yeah. but um it in having kind of gone through the burnout work and burnout cycle a couple times I I started really thinking about like what what can I do to have the most impact like what are some specific actions that I can rally other people to do that you know I mean every I mean everything needs to be done of course like history needs to be rewritten and all kinds <laughs> of things need to happen but I'm like okay but what is something concrete that we can do and uh, the ambulance is one thing the other thing that we've done you know done is walkers and wheelchairs and of course the masks lots and lots of masks um, 60,000 masks I believe I've been involved with now for um, native communities and and um, just about we're still doing it. We, we're almost wrapped. Um, a couple months ago, we started a winter coat drive. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure you saw that as well. Mm -hmm. But that that happened because I went to uh, I went to Standing Rock, actually, during in this pandemic, you know, to actually get some real boots on the ground experience and working in the community. Can you, and, talk, about what uh, you, can you talk about what you saw there and what it was like? Yeah, yeah, it was, well, first of all, I mean, like, you know, the prairie is beautiful, and the river is amazingly beautiful, um, but what was, you know, I mean, maybe not so shocking, because I, I visited other reservations before, but I think what is so hard for people to understand without maybe just being there is the, um, the fact that racism is so palpable around the res. Um, it is, um, it's like, I felt like sometimes I was going back into a pre-civil rights era <laughs> world, um, because a lot of the border towns, um, are not friendly if you are not white. 
Hmm. In fact, on the western end of Standing Rock, there, you know, on the border town, there is an active Ku Klux Klan. Oh. Um, <laughs> active. I mean, an active, uh, you know, uh, membership there. And so, mm-hmm. and I, um, you know, at one point I was, I, I've been mostly camping, you know, just trying to say COVID safe and outside. But at one point the weather turned and I was looking for a motel and I went into motels and with, I guess with a mask on, people can't tell, you know, what ethnicity I am. I have dark hair, like I could be native, you know, but the way I was treated was like, it was like, pre- like I, I, I felt very unwelcomed. Um, and people were kind of rude to me. And sometimes you're just not, you know, again, you know, cause you think like, oh, is that person just having a bad day? But when it happens consistently and uh, there was even, um, a time where, um, I was asking for like a weekly rate. Right. And the nice young lady at the front desk was like, oh yeah, sure. You can work that out with my manager. Let me call her. And somehow when the manager came down, she had the impression that I was, the minute she saw me, I think based on my race, it looked like she wanted to spit on me. Oh, boy. And she had immediately her questions. I can't remember exactly what came out of her mouth, but I, I just felt like she immediately had the assumption that I was causing pro- problems or some, like oh. I was a problem and I needed to be dealt with in some way. And it was very bizarre because, you know, I'm just like trying to be a customer, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, being very, you know, normal and polite and whatever else. And and it was and she basically told me that they don't do that there. Wow. They just don't do weekly rates. They right. never do it. They never have done it. And and I remember glancing at the young lady and she looked really embarrassed. And mm. and I kind of knew that it was one of those like, oh, there is no room here for your kind mm. kind of thing moments. Mm. And that was shocking. Um, but, you know, it's like the, the people are, there's such a wonderful sense of community um, on the reservation. And um, um, and and a beautiful network of people who are willing to, to risk their lives, you know, to deliver masks or to um, deliver other essentials such as soap to their neighbors, you know, mm-hmm. and... Trying to think what else is there. Well, you know, um, I, I maybe this is me like kind of calling out to anyone who was an ally to to Standing Rock um, during the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, you know, camps and protests, or they rather call them, you know, not protests because this is their right that they're standing up for, and um, that that you know, if they are still feel any kind of. Um, uh, Gosh, how do I say this? I I, I want to ask people if the, if if those all those people who came out to Standing Rock, if they still care about them, if they still care about that movement, that they do something now for the people of Standing Rock because they truly are in crisis. And you know, if you care about clean water, you should also care about the people who are protecting that water, and that the 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 original water protectors of Standing Rock are the heart and soul of that movement. And without them, there is no movement, you know? So I think people don't always realize that the connection between the movement and the people, you know, because it's sort of, I guess, we're going back to the Taiwan thing. Like if, if no one, ex- if all half of Taiwan is gone, 
you know, no one's there to fight for Taiwan's um, rights or anything like that, right? So the same thing with Standing Rock. If, if, if half the people are sick or hurting or whatever that is, or gone because of a disease, um, who is going to be there to speak on behalf of their people for their land, for their water? It's not the same thing for as a person like me, an outsider. I can advocate, but it's not the same thing. It just isn't the same thing, obviously. And um, so I really encourage anyone who is connected to that movement in any way to, you know, um, to to help to help um, the reservations to help Standing Rock, and um, that you know we we can't wait for the government. We're not you know no one. If we did that, it's it's not going to go well. You know it's just not. And um, you know I, I'm sure I don't know if everyone knows this, but you know South Dakota is very fairly conservative. It's a red state. Their governor Kristi Noem is very pro-Trump, and so and kind of. Um, has been quite, quite lax about any kind of um, mask uh, recommendations in that state. So it, it is, um, you know, what, what they're facing there is that they're facing one of the, they normally have one of the lowest life expectancies in this entire nation. And right now they have one of the highest rates of infection per capita. Wow. You know, so um, that is, you know, a fact and and it's hopefully um people um want to help out and you know there's so many ways to help like uh, something that was so beautiful that one of our um uh native american aunties and auntie sewing squad brought to us uh, which is uh bettina castagno she um asked for like coloring books and supplies for her for the kids in her community and um, it's something that is so simple that people can do, but it actually helps with COVID-19 because it, it gives kids something to do, to be occupied with, that keeps them inside or, you know, not they, they can maybe play at home. Um, and and it's also, you know, just a wonderful gift to, to cheer, cheer a kid up during these really tough times. Um, there's so many little things that we can really do, um, like... Uh, I mean, the winter coat drive, I mean, was a big, big endeavor, you know, of course, um, like it took a lot of coordinating to to execute. Um, and I'm really happy that, you know, I, um, you know, at first, you know, it was it was a kind of toss up in the air. Like, do we do this or do we not? Because it's not masks and Auntie Sewing Squad is about masks. But, you know, this is uh, it, it. It prevents people from dying from of exposure, you know, and um, and there are children. This is how this all started. Like I went to Standing Rock. The weather turned. I talked to people there, saw kids without coats, and boom, I was like, you know, like, let's do this winter coat drive for the kids. You know, there are homeless children there um, who or even kids who are, you know, housed, but they, you know, they don't have access to proper winter gear. And um, and that is something that we can we can chip in and help out with. And I'm just really happy that to constantly find these kind of things and, and put it out there and then discover that there is a lot of people in this world who who want to do their their little part in making a difference. I'm actually a member of the Anti-Sewing Squad Facebook group, and I've seen some of the requests made for thousands of masks. I've seen one for 6,000 masks. How do you go about fulfilling an order like that? Basically, we put out the campaign and aunties pledge for it. And then there's a spreadsheet where uh, the pledges are then, you know, entered, you know, to the right group and, and right location. And and, and when the aunties um, are ready to uh, send the masks, we, we give out the addresses 
Um, and, and that's worked out that way. Not that we want to keep the address for so long, but sometimes we, if someone's finished making their mask first, they can go to a certain place and first, second, or third, and whatnot. And um, I, I believe the first Navajo ask actually came from me. I did it, I think it was roughly... Um, 689 altogether, and then the second Navajo ask, I went to 2,730. Then the third one was like 5,000, but we actually wow. overshot and we got to 6,000 mm-hmm. something. I don't even remember the mm-hmm. final number, mm-hmm. but um, that just uh, I I felt a real need to do something. I just started cold calling basically different people, uh, contacts, and uh, getting pretty much up to the minute. Uh, responses and I actually something I was listening to the the interview with uh, Christina and Valerie and I wanted to have one correction just so that like you know the 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 Gallup Indian Medical Center doesn't like you know like no no that's not true the Gallup Indian Medical Center which is a hospital that we first one of the hospitals that I initially connected with over there uh, they don't throw away cloth masks they do not throw them away what was what it was is that they couldn't um, take those masks um, and give them to the patients they were housing in the motels because they had so many patients and people awaiting testing, they had spillover into motels and hotels in the local area. Now those people had zero masks Hmm. and zero access to them and the medical center, the Gallup Medical Center Hmm. being federally funded, they were not allowed to take, um, let anything that lands in their, on their premises leave the premises. Um, and so they were like, please, please don't send it to us. The people we really want to get masked to right now are in these motels, in these hotels. And uh, if you can send it there, that's where we need it the most. Uh, because they, the hospital itself had at that point, I think the National Guard had come in and brought some masks for them or they had um, got some arrived. So they were okay for the moment and they were like, please get it to the people we really, really need to serve. And so that, that really illustrated for myself and Christina Wong that the necess- necessity of really talking to people um, who are boots on the ground and um, know what's happening. And so that we're not, you know, so that we're actually sending our masks um, to the places that count uh, when when it's needed and where it's needed. Could you briefly explain about the Dakota Access Pipeline protests for my listeners who may not know? The Dakota Access Pipeline is a, a pipeline of oil um, that runs um, uh, through a territory that is theirs by treaty. And that would affect the water supply of the reservation, of Standing Rock Reservation, as well as many, many other people down down the river, all the way, I believe, to Illinois and beyond. The water protectors are, are the people who are protecting their land from the Dakota Access Pipeline, a pipeline um, that is being run through uh, treaty land that threatens this, their their water supply because if there is a leak, people will clearly get sick and, and many horrible things would happen. And it affects them as well as many other people down the river. And um, it is an environmental cause that exploded um, in 2016. And um, my partner Jonathan Edwards of the Lakota Wellbeing Project, he is one of the original water protectors. He brought it to the attention of the tribe, tribal governments, and to um, really, you know, rally people to to stop this pipeline from going through their land. And so, you know, it's about it's ultimately it boils down to you know. Inv- 
environmental rights, indigenous rights. And so water protectors, they're not just protecting their water supply, they're actually fighting to protect all of our water because it it affects all of us if something happens with this particular pipeline. And uh, we call it, some people say, like, you know, the no no dapple movement, or they say... um, Dakota Access Pipeline is the full name, and of and there's uh, an opposition movement that um, grew to um, epic proportions um, in uh, 2016 and early 2017, and you know tens of thousands of people came um, to support the water protectors to protect um, uh, to prevent this pipeline from going through. Um, but in the end, it still did. And uh, right now, there's a battle in the courts to, you know, shut shut off the pipeline. Um, and so that's an ongoing battle. And, and I, I, say, I say this because I know a lot of people at the time, um, you know, whether they're environmentalists or they're an indigenous uh, rights activists really cared about this cause and i'm trying to help people make the connection that like hey you know covid is a major crisis right now like they are this this reservation standing rock is truly in crisis if you cared about these people before let's care about them again you know and if you, if you real and in, in in the long term actually it's not just about covid like when i say uh support the water protectors i also mean the next generation you know one of the things you said what i saw in the res like i interviewed um you know, some some medical professionals there and they talked about kids who are crippled for life after breaking a bone. Wow. Because again, the lack of at lack of access care. to adequate health care. Because, you know, normally like if in New York City, I'm sure a kid breaks a bone. Kids break bones all the time. They play, they break a bone, and you know, the the bone gets, you know, set into a, a cast and, you know, a few weeks later everything's just fine. Well, on the reservation, a kid can break a bone and it is not put in a cast or a splint and they may be crippled mm. for the rest of right. their life. And who who is going to be you know, these are the next generation of water protectors, people who will be standing up for their rights of their land, that their ancestors fought for these for this, you know, and that and and some, some something so simple, like there's some very simple things that we can do to help people. And uh, whether it's during COVID or beyond that, I, I would love to bring attention to um, and um and I don't know. Maybe maybe it resonates with what with the Taiwanese audience that might be listening to this. Is that, you know, there's something about belonging to a land or a people that gives you the right to speak on behalf of that land and on behalf of that people. And I know that some environmentalists say, like, well, you know, we will fight for you. We're here for you. You know, but like again, like it's so wonderful to have outside support. You know, but there's nothing. There's not the same thing as having a person from that land, from that heritage, speak on the behalf of their ancestors and their people and to protect their land, their water, their rights. And so um, I, I, I'm i in full support of that. And um, wow, there's so many things that like we could talk about, but you know, just with, with Navajo Nation, gosh, okay, so one of the wonderful um, people I connected over there was Brenda Hosky and she, um, she works with uh, people with disabilities um, and runs group homes there. The Brenda Hosky's group is amazing. She she has a nonprofit, 
and she takes care of um, adults with disabilities and seniors and group homes. And as we all know, group homes and and nursing homes are a major mm-hmm. place where um, you know COVID nineteen can spread very right. easily, and we need right. to protect the most vulnerable. And um, you know, I really have to credit her and Bettina Castagno again for really um, helping us kick off um, the the ship the, the the van loads of supplies that we we got to Navajo Nation. It started um, with a phone call. I believe I, I was looking at it just earlier today because I'm, I'm preparing for this interview. It started on um, April 20th in a very simple conversation with Bettina, and I'm saying to her like, "Hey, I don't know. I've sent this many masks now. I just sent like." almost 700 to Navajo Nation, but it wasn't to your area. I want to get to your area as soon as possible. And how can we do this? And we started talking about the fact that she has, you know, people there who can sew. And her brother is connected to a major group right now with uh, a a very active group of seamstresses. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go on eBay and buy you a serger. Let's go. And she was like, all right. And sent me her brother's address and, um, a few weeks later, uh, we were like, let's do this again for Brenda Hosky's group and uh, Rebecca Solnit, and I believe his name is Croft, I forgot his last name, you know, bought two more sergers and we sent it to the group home, uh, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, we, we want them to have the ability to to um, address their needs um, with more specificity, you know, what they, what they need. Um, and, and they can sew um, for their own communities. And, and what started with a few serger machines and sewing machines ended up becoming van loads of all kinds of supplies, including hand washing stations. So could you um, clarify, so how- like, um, these group homes, they were on reservations? or? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, gosh, you know, um, blanking on the name it's on the reservation it's a navajo nation it's mm-hmm. near church rock mm-hmm. and uh they're on the eastern side yeah, you don't need to be specific some- but i just because oh. i'm just trying to make the connection because um yeah. there are these group homes there yeah. on the reservation and that led to like yeah. the deliveries of um sending other supplies that they need besides just masks and all these yeah, other things that you're masks. doing to support them yeah. Yeah, and and Bettina Bettina's um, brother Clee Benali was involved with uh, the the Navajo Hopi. Um, they have a longer, I think it's called Navajo Hopi Families COVID nineteen Relief Fund, mm-hmm. and they they're the ones who raise like a, a millions of dollars um, uh, to to deliver food and water and masks and soap and detergent to the Navajo and Hopi communities. And they have a team of 100 seamstresses. And when we found that out, you know, like I was like, well, let's start sending, you know, lots of fabric and lots of elastic and lot and whatever sewing machine, extra sewing machines in case there's other people that want to join them in in their networks. So, so um, they they serve a little all over the Navajo Nation, but a little more on the western end. And Brenda's is a little more on the eastern end. And so what, what I've always uh, strived to do is try to... Um, Really understand the geography of places mm-hmm. so that we make sure that we're, we're 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 spreading the love to different groups that may have a hard time accessing, um, you know. And uh, these group homes um, are um, oh, it's called Toya Industries. It's, it's a it's a nonprofit, you know, a Navajo led and run um, nonprofit. Um, and what what's the what nonprofit? people don't know, what what is that toy, nonprofit? Toy toy. And what do they do? Toye. 
Yeah. Um, they help adults with disabilities oh, okay. and seniors, and they mm -hmm. run group homes, and that's Brenda Husky's group. And um, what, what people don't know about, and this is true both at Navajo Nation and um, Standing Rock, is that uh, the U United States government um, mined for uranium on these reservations. And you can understand, I'm not sure people know, that uh, it's uh, there's and major consequences of that, the toxic waste, and, and there are a number of people that are born with disabilities due to the uranium mining. Okay. And I think, I mean, not yeah. to go into the whole thing, right. but what I was saying right. about like the, the conditions that we're, we're looking at now, that people and the challenges people face, is not just like, oh, there are people who face challenges everywhere in the world. It's like, I'm like, no, this is something that happened that the government did that caused, you know, health problems in people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, or p potentially disabilities mm -hmm. and, or not just potentially, but obviously that that happened. And I feel as a citizen of the world, um, I don't even know what I consider myself <laughs> going to my whole, sure. like, identity crisis another day, but like, but as just a person in this world, like, you know, I, I, I think that we have a responsibility to, to, um, you know, do our, our part in, in making things a little bit better. Some things, very actionable things that people can do is they can donate to the ambulance fund. They can donate to Auntie Sewing Squad. They can donate to Lakota Wellbeing Project. They can, um, you know, send art supplies. You know, I can give you a list of addresses where people are collecting art supplies for kids, um, or even, you know, a lot of these kids don't again don't have proper winter clothes. So if you have hats or gloves or scarves or little coats, you know, these are all things that you know little things that people can do to help. Um, and, um, you know, obviously if anyone's listening and they're a medical professional, you know, we are also looking, you know, into potential possibilities to do telemedicine in the future or, you know, or even just if someone wants to give us any kind of, um, you know, help us as a consultant or just, you know, talk with us and just kind of come up with some ideas. Um, obviously, we, ha we have that right now with a, in a, a very wonderful um, pulmonary physician and, and many frontline workers um, or, or a few, you know, indigenous ones. But um, but it's like, yeah, we, we, we really welcome, you know, I'm really, I can't tell you how amazing this journey has been. Like, <laughs> starting from reading a news article to connecting to, like, um, top doctors and, and former football players and and people who are, you know, about to be deported because of their immigrant status. Um, in my work, I feel like I've reached every single, like all kinds, I've connected to so many different kinds of people. And I think what brings us all together is this, this desire just to help people, you know, to do our, our part. And and so I'm, I'm always wondering, like, who else am I going to meet? This is so <laughs> cool, you know? And like in, in Navajo Nation, one of the, my contacts that we were sending to, he's, um, his, his grandfather is one of the last living Navajo code talkers. Like, so literally people who saved this nation because um, of their ability to speak their language, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, I could go on and on and probably <laughs> could spend 15 minutes to talk about the amazing human beings I've met in the course of doing this work. But like, I love being um, the super auntie for Navajo Nation, or not for not just for Navajo Nation, but for the Native nations, um, because I've gotten to meet such incredible human beings and um, and and reaching out, you know, to find out how we can help 
address some of the medical, you know, healthcare inadequacies. I've also met some really amazing human beings. Tell me what you do outside of the Anti-Sewing Squad and the Lakota Wellbeing Project. I'm an actress. I'm a writer. I'm a healer. Um, I, in this pandemic, besides doing Anti-Sewing Squad and the Lakota Wellbeing Project, I've I did um, voices for Twilight Zone, the new um, Netflix Over the Moon, um, and a couple um, Marvel um, films that I can't talk about right now, Mm -hmm. and uh, an episode of Magnum P.I., and juggling Mm -hmm. that, and writing, and still, and basically these two huge projects that I've taken on has been, yeah, insane. I see that the Anti-Sewing Squad has made deliveries to both Navajo and Hopi Nation. There is a specific reservation for Navajo Nation, whereas the Hopi people are indigenous to that land and they live in various communities all over, um, on and off the reservation. Um, and and so, um, as may, people may not know this, but like these reservations all over the United States are, many of them are, you know, just they're constructed. They were constructed by the federal government. They may be a mixture of multiple tribes. They may be predominantly one tribe, but they were driven off their land. Native Americans were driven off their land. Mm-hmm. Many people were mm-hmm. and and put into reservations. So, so when you think about it, it's 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 a construct. And you know, some some of my friends, Native American friends, will joke that they are concentration camps mm-hmm. because they're basically rounded up and put there. So, so when you look at the outline, like the the map, and like, oh, like is that where they live? I mean, some, it, I, you know, some people, some tribes were able to um, stay where they're, you know, they're um, close sorry, to I'm where their and, original land was. Well, yeah, yeah, close to or on their original land, you know, but some, some are not. But, and um, so, and some tribes have, yeah, so it's a complicated thing. And, um, but there's, um, that's in a nutshell, I guess that's what it is. Can you talk a little bit about like what is involved with um, coordinating and planning all these deliveries to Navajo Nation? I, I can't imagine like uh, what's involved or do you have a team of people that help you to break that all down? Like who drives and who orders and who packs and who does this, who does that? Right. Um, so let's see. Um Everything starts with our allies on the ground. So we ask them first and foremost, what do you need? Um, what are your, your top priority items? And then uh, we go through the list and we try to make it happen the best we can. And we, um, we have a connection with a food bank, World Harvest Food Bank here in Los Angeles. And so, uh, you know, whether it's adult diapers or if there's uh, wipes or if they need some cleaning supplies or canned foods, you know, we try to gather what we can um, there. And then uh, if it's fabric, then one of us and I have done, you know, one of these runs, um, you know, where we just go into the garment district and and try to basically haggle uh, for the best prices we can for uh, elastic and fabric. And um, there are other aunties who have volunteered to go to the garment district for this reason as well. And um, and a lot of aunties, um, you know, will contribute um, by, you know, making as many masks as they can for, for this uh, particular um, ask. And we have uh, a wonderful person um, named Badly Licked Bear, and they... 
um, gather. They have they have a, a home that they call the Fortress of Gratitude, and and on the front porch, people drop off sewing machines or um, you know various other things that are asked for, and. Uh, that porch gets really full and badly and their partner, they, they package it up into boxes. So it's easier to stack inside their van. And, uh, he, they, they have been so wonderful. And, um, yeah, I saw they have an Amazon wish list that has a list of things that people want to like contribute and things like that. So people know like what kind of things they actually need. Things that we can be collected easily or things that we have access to for a special, you know, price or donated, uh, we gather at uh, the Fortress of Gratitude that gets packaged and put into a van that Valley then drives. Um, things that are better shipped, you know, because some things, if it's brand new, just ship it straight to an address. It's easier. And um, and actually, oftentimes, uh, except you know, if it's something that's bulky and it can be shipped and the shipping is free, you know, on Amazon, that's probably the preferred way to go instead of taking up space yeah. in a van. And, um, I mean, right now, um, that's actually probably the preferred way overall with COVID cases spiking like crazy. Um, uh, we are trying to keep everyone safe, um, you know, as safe as possible. And so obviously these, these deliveries, these, they are, um, you know, we're relying on the the brave men and women who who are delivery people for these for these um, companies, of course. But um, right now, uh, there's a bit of a pause in the van um, situation right now mm-hmm. until there is enough stuff that that needs to absolutely needs to be transported by mm-hmm. van. Otherwise, obviously, shipping is the preferred way from the Amazon wish list. Standing Rock being halfway across the country from us on the West Coast, as well as halfway across the country for you on the East Coast, um, buying from their Amazon wish list is also, you know, um, you know, a great way to go mm-hmm. about it. And in fact, we found that to be true for the kids' coats because we found these really cute, wonderful winter, you know, windproof um, winter parkas for kids on Costco, and it's free shipping. Whereas, you know, if you try to ship a bulky coat, like the the UPS and FedEx rates are kind of crazy. That like, you know, maybe for for the holidays, if someone wants to give like a, a holiday charitable gift, they could always, you know, ship um, ship something directly to also give you some addresses where where things are desired. And it's oh, a good and, tip. Um, yeah, I mean, because, you know, shipping is expensive yeah, um, yeah. on your own, but you get free shipping when you yeah. buy direct from mm-hmm. some of these um, online shops. After living through this, I'm like, wow, like, there's a million stories here. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, so I, I grew up with Buddhism, and I am also a healer right now and the modality I, I, I have trained in is a Balinese modality based on indigenous um, you know beliefs and it's called Siwa Murti. I'm, I'm the head teacher at the Siwa Murti Healing Institute and um, and from this this perspective I think that um, it's from this perspective that I operate because I believe in socially engaged Buddhism. I believe that compassion is not just a, a feeling, but an, an action that we can take. And I'm, I'm very interested in compassion and action. And, um, and what I've learned um, is that when we do these acts of compassion, we're not only helping and saving other people, but we're also saving ourselves. 
I feel that it gives us, I mean, as, as hard as this has been, it has deepened me in such a way that I'm so, I feel grateful that I've engaged in this. I feel like it enriches our inner lives, it enriches us spiritually, and it gives us purpose. And, and I mean, it's, it's been so beautiful. And so for as much as we struggle, like when you make these connections with other human beings, when you see the impact that you have made, and also along the way, the friendships that I've made, you know, like this, it's, it's been, it's given me more than I have given. And I, I, I think that, you know, we're all interwoven. I mean, in these, in this spiritual belief, we're all interconnected and, you know, um, we can do more than we think we even know. I mean, to be honest, because I just, like, like when I was putting together my first big Navajo Nation ask, um, and I was aiming for, you know, as many as I could, I think I got close to 700. But I was like, as I'm putting together, as I'm picking up supplies, as I'm picking up masks from Auntie Sewing Squad members driving around town, you know, I kept wondering to myself, am I crazy? Like, who am I to do this? Like, I am not, like, I'm an actress, I'm a writer, I'm a healer, but like, you know, like, what, like, what? Like, and I also kept thinking there, there has to be someone else doing this. There has to be someone else doing this. There has to be a lot of really qualified people doing this, more qualified than me, more experienced than me, you know, um, and I'm like, and, and, you know, technically, you know, I'm not Native American, you know, I've, I've seen what, you know, I know that there are a group of people here that I feel very connected to and very, uh, you know, uh, very much want to help. But like, I'm, I was like, am I even the right person to do this? If I, you know, what mm -hmm. is my qualification here? <laughs> but I mean, I, I hope that my story serves as an inspiration to other people to say like, you know what, if you want to help just do so, you know, like you don't have to wait for anyone's permission and that you can probably do way more than you think you can ever do. And no, you don't have to go, you know, gung ho and go crazy like I did. I mean, I went really far, mm -hmm. but like, you know, even if people just contribute, a, you know, a donation, a monetary donation, or if they, you know, send some art supplies, like that's still, that's something that like, you know, that, that is socially engaged Buddhism, that is compassion and action, that is Siwamurti, which is, you know, based in compassion as well, or whatever, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I am probably can name every single, you know, major religion or spiritual belief, and it's always centered around love and compassion, and, 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 and let's, let's, let's take, let's, um, let's make that something that we do, and <laughs> let's do it together. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything that this pandemic has made abundantly clear is that is how we're all connected, like it or not. I, I don't know what people's beliefs are, but, you know, we all impact each other and the whole thing about, yeah, if you help other people, you're helping yourself. And maybe it's also revealed some of these unpleasant things like a lot of the inequities in, in society. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that... Um... I'm trying to think. Maybe I should talk about my Taiwan experiences. Sure, yes, yes. <laughs> maybe that's a separate conversation. But yeah, um, my my mother is. Um, let's see, my mom's family is in Taipei mainly, um, in the Sipai area, mm -hmm. and um, my dad's family is from Kaohsiung, and. Um, Oh, my mom was born in Densui. That's what I remember. Yeah, Densui. And um, I love going to Taiwan. 
<laughs> so one of my favorite places to visit. Like I, I'm actually like really bummed I didn't go early this year. I was gonna go like sometime in January, mm-hmm. February. And now with COVID, I don't know when the next chance I will get, but like I miss my family there mm. and I miss the food and the night market. <laughs> well, it's so, the safest place to be yeah. pretty much now. So if you're willing yeah. to take the risk to fly over there. What I think is the, the main pro, the main obstacle is a 14 day. Um, oh, yes. The quarantine. Yes. 14. Yeah. The quarantine. Yeah, we have an episode about that. (laughs) We have an episode on Talking Taiwan where we have guests talking about that, uh, what they had to go through for the 14-day quarantine. Yeah, Yeah. I wish I could go, but, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe. I just have to carve out a lot of time to Mm -hmm. to quarantine and Mm -hmm. do it the right way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what's the current situation with COVID down there now um, on the Navajo Nation and Hopi Nations? Navajo Nation is one of the largest reservations, and um, you know they they have um, they span actually four states. You know they have a foothold in Arizona, New Mexico, as well as Colorado and Utah. And so, being that like they 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 are facing a lot of challenges, of course, um, uh, being as spread out as they are, um, as well you know for for healthcare, and there are currently seven hundred deaths there. Uh, an uncontrolled spread. Um, there's also an uncontrolled spread um, throughout all of the Lakota nations in South and North Dakota. Um, and I'm not as I, we have sent masks to, um, you know, uh, a lot of. I'm sorry, I'm like losing my steam here. Um, but we we sent masks out to a lot of different Native communities and Native nations, um, but I don't all have their current numbers. But, of course, with a current spike, um, you know, uh, right now, based on what I saw yesterday, um, South Dakota is number one. And that's so the South Dakota tribes are definitely bracing for, um, you know, impact because they're the number one right now, number one state right now for COVID-19 infection rates. And, um, and uh uh, as a reservation, um, Navajo Nation is experiencing some of the worst infection rates as well. And, um, you know, I really, um, I don't know if I can, because I tried, obviously, you know, privacy laws and all that stuff, but the people I've been working directly with on the ground, um, I just got a, I was contacted yesterday to find out that one of my contacts, mother, has COVID-19 mm-hmm. in Navajo Nation as and her sister and two nephews are currently getting tested. And so it's for me, it's like I went from making cold calls to being so connected with the people on the ground um, that, you know, news like this really does, you know, hit home. It, it's very real. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm definitely keeping them my thoughts and, you know, sending healing energy to them and praying for them in that, you know, um, that they get through this, you know, and, and stay healthy and strong. Um so that's that's the current situation, um, and the best thing we can do is is to support you know the the people in these disadvantaged communities with um, the PPE they need, with the medical supplies that they need, and with the funds to continue. Um, what people don't understand is that oh gosh, I'm sorry, there's so many things to talk about. 
What people may not know is that, for example, in the Navajo Nation, they have curfews, and curfews have been enacted again. The curfews are to keep, you know, to keep the spread more contained and keep movement limited. That being said, it's a real challenge for people to get groceries or water. And sometimes um, our boots on the ground, you know, a wonderful woman named Teresa Hatathali, her group, the the um, their nonprofit is is delivering food and water door to door because it's not easy for people to get around <laughs> to like just go to the grocery store if they need to. Um, and you know we're talking about elders um, who may not be able to go to the store by themselves or or you know um, and when you have to drive that far, we're talking about gas money and all the kinds of stuff and and with the extra challenge of a curfew. That's why. You know, we really need to support um, our brothers and sisters on the ground doing this work um, with monetary donations as well as supplies uh, whenever we can. Wow. Um, so they're still under curfew right now. Yeah, I have to look up the exact curfew because, okay. you know, I think a lot of times... Um, because I'm sorry, yeah, I'm just, it's like, okay. my brain's that, not That's not really that important. But, I was just, but that yeah. is important when but they're lot, under curfew yeah. that this is another restriction. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the, there's just so many things that we take for granted, um, and and it's mm-hmm. like a hundred times more impact over there because they don't have a lot of these basic things like basic care, health care, um, running water. I mean, you just cannot even imagine these things that we take for granted that they don't even have. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Why are we doing this now? This should have been taken care of before, not because it's a pandemic. Now we're bringing light to this, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that that if there is a silver lining, that there's awareness of this now, because I feel like it took a pandemic to really highlight the disparities that Native communities face, and that that this, you're right, it should have been <laughs> something that you know. Um, was taken care of a long, long time ago. That shouldn't even be, you know, um, a problem. But now that it's brought to light, I, I really hope that our government and and our citizens of this nation, you know, do more to to um, make sure that these uh, disparities are addressed. Yeah. So then, one question that's like uh, I almost forgot to ask, but which should be pretty obvious that, like, so what is the government doing? Like, can we say there's anything that they are doing at this time or have done at this time? Have they given any aid or done anything? What have you seen? Well, from from my understanding, and I'm definitely not a a legal expert, so let me just you know, yeah. but this is my understanding. Um, you know, the CARES Act did al- absolutely allocate funds. That being said, dispersing those funds and actually applying those funds, there's a lot of uh, red tape and issues with that. And so, you know, all the, um, you know, Native nations and, and tribes are currently, um, you know, working on that or struggling with that, you know, on a different, you know, first you have to... Um, yeah, actually, I shouldn't go through the process. I've heard about it, but I don't feel like I'm an expert enough to like talk about it, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. But there has been CARES Act funding allocated. That being said, it is not easy to actually apply and disperse. There is red tape involved. There is bureaucracies there. And um, at the end of the day, um, the, that funding, I'm not sure if, if it applies. Um, how do you say let's just say (laughs) 
let's just say that a lot of the mutual aid groups and nonprofits I've been working with in Native communities have said that Auntie Sewing Squad has done more for them than their own tribal government or the federal government, or that, you know, the Lakota Wellbeing Project brought more masks and uh, medical supplies to Standing Rock than, you know, both of those governments, both tribal and and um, and federal. And I can't speak to why. I mean, I know that there's a lot of um, challenges mm-hmm. in applying the CARES Act, mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to say the wrong thing because yeah. I am sure afterwards if someone will be like, that's not a you know, because it's a very complicated process. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I think one thing that Christina Wong and I, uh, and, and not just us, you know, like all the aunties, what we saw is that, we can't always wait for the government, you know, because the, you know, it, this, this pandemic is happening right now. It is happening right now. We're in a deadly third wave right now. Mm-hmm. There's no time to wait for policies to change and laws to change. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of promises that have been made in the new uh, Biden Harris, you know, administration that they want to do for tribal nations. But that being said, like, we all know that requires Congress passing, you know, like the con, you know, how long has it taken? You know, we're waiting for this, like, uh, was the it COVID-19 stimulus? stimulus. Yes. <laughs> and that's been like at a deadlock for a long time. And I, 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 I'm, you know, that's kind of the same thing that happens in on the tribal government level as well. And so if we're all sitting around waiting for that, like it might be too late. So, right. um, we just got to take action. We just mm-hmm. got to do, mm-hmm. do it now. Uh, thank you for sharing everything that you've uh, talked about. Hopefully it's created some awareness in people who were not, um, so versed on the situation, um, and maybe even inspire people to take some action. Um, so, Maybe later on offline, you can give me um, some links on where people can donate for the um, Lakota Wellbeing Project, and we'll make sure that we put that on our show notes uh, for this episode and any other like resources that you think um, would be useful for yeah. people to um, take a look at. Wonderful. Great. Yeah, I'd be yeah. happy to share those links and also an email address in case anyone, because I'm always like open to, I mean, obviously, Everything we do, I always let it, uh, everything is led by my Native American partners because they're the ones who are serving their communities and so we have to listen to them. But I'm always welcome if someone has any kind of um, lead on anything and a solution that they would like to provide. (laughs) So, you know, um, very, very happy to connect with people. Okay, well, thank you so much for um, taking time of your schedule to be on Talking Taiwan. I appreciate it. Thank you. I've been speaking with Constance Parng about her work to support highly vulnerable Native American communities and her connection to Taiwan. To learn how to donate to the Lakota Wellbeing Project, Standing Rock, and the Anti-Sewing Squad, and any links related to items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.